This is The Playbook. This is Dave Belcher with Entrepreneurs, The Playbook, and I got a localpreneur, Albert Preciado. He is an amazing man. He comes highly recommended by my network of superstars, the Ed Milets of the world, the Dan Fleischmans of the world, all the people that I like to surround myself tell me, David, you gotta surround yourself with this guy. He has the mortgage guys, he's driven CH, he has his own podcast. He's here to help other people. That's what I love most about Albert. And I finally get to meet you in person here at SoFi Stadium, the stadium of champions. So it fits you perfectly. Hey, thank you for having me, David. Uh, I have, I've heard a lot of things about you, like great things from all, say, mutual friends. So I'm really excited to be here. Incredible view, by the way. <laughs> You're welcome. I don't know how much you pay for this, but it looks pretty expensive. I'm, I'm <laughs> blessed, man. And it, it pays to have friends in high places that uh, build stadiums, own stadiums, and manage stadiums. And yep. uh, it just goes to the point that we're talking about, though, is it's so important as you build a career to treat people nicely. Yeah. And beyond being intelligent and understanding how to build businesses. It really, to me, comes down to people. And I was curious, you know, what are some of the best pieces of advice that you give about how to treat people the right way? You know, I'll start with uh, in the beginning when you start making money. When I was 21, you, you start thinking that you're like the king of the world. You think that you're like on steroids, that you're unstoppable. And for me, like I got into cocaine and it messed my life. I'm glad, up I'm glad we weren't friends back then because I, you and I shared the same I heard some stories with you, <laughs> partying with Lil John and yeah. So yeah, yeah. So uh, I got and, into and uh, Belford, by the way, he's probably <laughs> he stay yeah. away from that guy. So so I was like like you, but like, like a little a little after after your your, yeah, your you're time, younger than me, better looking. Years. I get it. Uh, so so I started going through the same thing. I started partying and thinking that I was unstoppable and driving drunk. I went in, into the. I was driving in Colorado, Pasadena, and I went into like almost hit the stores because I was so drunk. Ugh. And I got a third DUI, got a lawyer, and then they saved me and they made it a wet reckless. So it didn't count as a third DUI. And then one day I finally just uh, stopped because I, I crashed and I was under the influence of cocaine and, and I hit a car. That would have been my fourth DUI. It would have been over. I was 25. So that day I'm like, I'm stopping this. I'm not unstoppable. I can't do this. And then I became coachable and I started approaching uh, guys like you like Ed like Andy Frisella Brad Leah and I, yeah. I know a lot of uh, a lot of the same guys I could run the list but I started investing in them Grant Cardone uh, helped me a lot so I started investing in their seminars their coachings things like that reading books in the beginning but then those people started telling me things and I started listening and based on on what they told me I I started using those principles in my business and then the business started doing better but it's because I became coachable. And in in the, when you're young, you just think you're unstoppable. And you need to be coachable, humble, and hungry. Yeah, and those terms also align with one of the things that I've learned. I always say there's two types of people in the world. Ignorant people that don't know what they don't know and ignorant people that don't know what they don't know. The difference is when we were young, we were ignorant and arrogant. Yeah. We knew we didn't know what yeah. we didn't know, but we pretended because we were so afraid of our potential, afraid of our own light, we were afraid of our own capacity that we would lie to people and most importantly lie to ourselves about that potential by pretending like we knew everything. Yeah. And then when we moved to what you moved to and what I moved to was ignorant, ignorant humility, knowing that we don't know, but yeah. telling people, hey, I don't know what I don't know, but you seem to know something. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. How difficult was it? I know you started by reading books, 
But how difficult was it when you got to the point where you were asking, you know, Grant Cardone and Ed Milet and Andy Frisella and Brad Lee and Dan Fleischman, all my friends, hey, I really want to get to where you are. Give me some direction. I went to Cancun for a seminar with uh, Grant Cardone. It was his first 10X uh, seminar that he had. So I flew to Cancun. He had about 30 people in the, in the whole seminar, his first one. And I was making 300,000 doing mortgages. And, and I had a nice Rolex and, and I told him, hey, I'm sick and tired of making 300,000. I feel broke. I'm, I'm gonna open up my mortgage, my own mortgage company. I'm gonna make a million dollars. I remember that time, it was 2014. I might be off by a year, but 2014, that's when that happened. And I told him, I'm just fed up. And then he told me, you know, you, you, got, you gotta go out. And you, you know, he, he pumped me up and he said, you gotta grow an army. You gotta build an army. And then that clicked and I said, okay, well, I had a bad experience hiring my first assistant. The only thing that she did right was buy me a fake Ferrari replica key. <laughs> that replica key got me a Ferrari in two months. So that's, a, a long, that's another long story. But when I went to him, he said, build an army. But I was such under a bad, uh, exp I had a bad experience with the assistant that I never wanted to build my army. I, never, I didn't want to hire more people because of that bad experience. But then I started hiring, I paid more for another assistant, which was a higher quality assistant. And then I started hiring more people. And then eventually I got to a million. I, then I got to two million. But it was building a team, building an army, and building a real business where, where most people, they think they have a business, but they don't really have any employees. And, and once I, I, I started uh, investing in employees and Salesforce, then it started scaling. And through that scalability of a business comes a different perspective uh, of being able to scale somebody else's beliefs in themselves, just like Grant and Brad and Andy and Ed. Uh, have figured this out for themselves and empowered you. Now it was your turn uh, to pay it forward. And it's a new challenge, you know, and I've grown some really big businesses in my yeah. career. And I always find it interesting uh, when we get to a point of the next level yeah. of empowering the people that came into us to do the same thing that we've done, which creates that exponentiality. What are some of the things that you've learned to allow people to believe in themselves the way that you have now be able to believe in yourself? I lead by experience. So when, when uh, you tell people what to do, they don't listen. But when people see you doing it, they do what they, what they see you doing. So I like to lead by experience. I like to tell them, I like to like work out in front of them. I like to do self-improvement in front of them. I like to uh, work hard in front of them. I like to stay late in front of them. And when I have trips, now that we're fortunate, me and my wife to um, travel and fly private, and, and that's another long story, but when we do that, we don't do it ourselves. We take our top people, we take our, our, some of our key employees, and we show them, we give them a taste of what life could be, what a, what a dream could be. And every time we do that, some people don't, don't appreciate it. The, like the one, the one percenters that, you know, they end up going somewhere else and they don't appreciate the things we do. But some people, they, they, they see it, they feel it, they taste it, and then they take off and they're like, Albert Sill, I can't believe... Uh, I, I can't believe what, you, what, what you've done to us. And then we, we show them the, the world of, of the dreams. And then uh, we have a girl named Patty. She went from like closing one, two loans a month to now closing 10 plus. Now she's making a million plus. She bought $2 million properties last, this year, this year. And she's a complete success story. But that's what, we, that's what makes us happy when we're able to change their lives because the more lives we change within the company, the more the company expands. And being such a leader, you know, what I have learned, you have to be an intelligent follower. 
What are some of the questions that you have or had that maybe I could help you with when we're here today? I'm sure you've you know, utilized all the resources that you have, but this is the first time that we've met and I was always yeah. curious how I could be of service and some of the critical business issues or ideas that you have that maybe I could clarify. But by the way, uh, when I first uh, ran into you on social media, on Instagram, I, I researched you and then I asked all my friends, I asked Dan, I asked Ed, uh, Brad, and then everybody said nothing but amazing things about you. And I started, I was watching one of your videos and, and uh, like 25 years ago, you, had, you were uh, worth more than uh, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. And, I, and I heard all the crazy partying you did back in the day too. So I'm like, dude, I relate a lot to him. But one thing that, that I am is uh, I'm really humble to learn more. And you have, I can't take your experience away from you. Like you have, you have a lot of experience that, that I need to know, that I need to learn from. So I love learning from all the greats that have been there because there's always, there, there's ups and downs. So one thing that I'm curious to ask you is, is um, you know, when you, when you lose it all and come back, which you've done, I think plenty of times, then when you get to a point where you're doing really good, you get a lot of envy from people. You get jealous people, which are, which that's not that bad. But then you start getting uh, into other things like what happened to me yesterday, which is, is also a long story, but I, I got I held gunpoint and I have a gun on my chest, gun behind me, and they want to take my watch. And it's the second time they robbed me. And, and these are the things that happen like when you, when you start doing really well, then you have all these kinds of problems that just come from nowhere, lawsuits and many things like that. So how, how did you deal with those and what do you recommend or, or what advice can you give me on, because I know it's going to continue to happen. So what advice do you have for me on, the, on that topic? Yeah, I have four pieces of advice and they're simple things, but difficult to execute on. And the first is when bad things happen, when people have attacking thoughts, judgments or label us. And I always say labels are only for shampoo. Yeah. Uh, the first lens that I use is gratitude. I look at every situation and I say, where's the light, the love and the lessons in what has happened? And we'll talk about, you know, being held up at gunpoint or other pain, setbacks and failures that we experience through the envious, jealous or scarce uh, people out there. Yeah. And so when I have a gracious lens, I'm looking to see, okay, this is I'm being promoted and protected. Yeah. How am I being promoted? What lesson am I supposed to learn? I don't know what lesson there is in when you're held up, but it, it may be, hey, maybe I'm not supposed to wear expensive things or show off those things. I, it's for you to know, not me. Yeah. Two, yeah. forgiveness. You will end up dead if you, the more successful you get and the more people that separate themselves from you by projecting their insecurity, their need to be inferior mm -hmm. or their need to be superior because those people that held you up have those insecure ego-based consciousness. They either needed to be superior to you or inferior to you or both separate from you. You need to forgive, forgive yeah. yourself, but also then project that forgiveness. I always say, whenever things happen to me, I pray for your happiness. I had a guy use profanity on my IG today and it was truly about charity. And I said, look, Hey man, here's my cell phone. Give me a call because obviously you're angry. And I can help you with that. And I forgive you for being angry on here. And there's no need to have profanity when I'm here just trying to empower people to be happy, to make money, help people and have fun. So gratitude, forgiveness. But the third one's the most uh, important, but it's also one that's evolved for me. Yeah. Accountability has changed in my life. Uh, I used to be in the realm of blame, shame and justification 
whenever bad things happen to me or attacks or judgments or conditions. Then I moved to what I thought was accountability. I used to say, okay, what did I do to attract this to myself? And what am I supposed to learn from it? Now I've shifted to a whole nother realm. Accountability to me in the basis of gratitude and forgiveness is what did I do to participate in this event? What did I do to participate in this perception of me? What did I do to participate in these ideas? And then I ask, what am I supposed to learn from it? Let me give you an example. I, I, I was molested when I was nine years old. I blacked it out of my, I didn't tell anybody. And until I was 50 years old, with everything I knew, I never thought it impacted me. And it's not something that I told anyone. And I, I always did it to protect my mom because my mom had nothing and she raised six kids and I, I know it would have crushed her. And there was all these issues that were involved. Yeah. So I go into the therapist and I give him my philosophy of accountability. I said, Hey, I'm accountable for this happening. I attracted this to myself and I'm supposed to learn from this. This is what I'm here for. And he almost started to cry. He said, what nine year old could do anything to attract such an atrocity? Well, I don't understand what you mean. And when he said it, as I choke up, I was like, wait a second. I didn't do something for it to happen to me. I participated in it. Yeah. And I was supposed to learn from my participation, but I, it wasn't punishment. It was protection and promotion for a lesson. And when I started to take gratitude in that thing, that horrible thing that happened to me for forgiveness and then the accountability, that allowed me to be inspired at all times. See, most people spend days, weeks, months, and years in fear, anger, frustration, guilt, the need to be right, offended, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, angry. They complain, they worry. I only spend minutes and moments because immediately when something like that happens to me, yeah. I say to myself, I'm grateful, I'm forgiving, and I'm accountable. I'm going to be promoted and protected because I'm connected to the greatest source of all time. Something that's much bigger than me, omniscient, all powerful, all knowing, omniscient, omnipresent source that loves me more than my mom loves me. So if anything happens, that's bad setbacks, failures, mistakes, it must be to make me better, to promote me and protect me, not to punish me. That one simple perspective perspective has helped me to move to levels that I never could have ever dreamed of living. And believe it or not, has allowed me to empower, inspire other people to do the same through those values in that practice. Yeah. You know, David, I want to ask you one more thing. When, when you, I got here, you told me about your daughter, how important she is and how excited you are for her birthday. She's turning 18, 18 today. Uh, my daughter is Italia. She's five. So I, I named her after the Ferrari four, five, eight. Uh, Berlin is two. I also named her Berlinetta, um, not Berlinetta, Berlin after the Berlinetta Ferrari. So I, I, I had this thing for Ferraris, but nice. <laughs> I have a, a five-year-old and a two-year-old. So when I, w when I had a gun on my chest yesterday, I, the, f the only thing I thought about, the main thing I thought about was Italia, my five-year-old, because she's my first and we have this special bond connection. So I thought about a lot of things. I could fight back. I could run. I could take my watch off and throw it like I saw on the, on the video. Somebody did that. Or I could, um, you know, do, do a, lot of, a lot of things. So when, when I thought about all that in slow motion, I thought Italia. And I'm like, hopefully she sees me one more day. So when I, when I, when I took my watch, because that's what they wanted, I gave it to them. And they, 
and, and I was hoping that they didn't just take the watch and still shot me. Right. So when, when they left, I was, I, I was, I was in the moment that I, w I thought about, should I chase him? Should I get in the car and go after them? Should I try to get their plates? And then I thought, you know what? Italia. What if they shoot me because I'm going after them and, and, and they hit me in the head and then Italia doesn't have a father anymore. So Italia, I figured, um, I, I, I discovered, I already knew, but, it, uh, but I, I came to the realization that she is who I live for, like her and, and, my, and my other daughter, Berlin, we just seem to be a little bit closer, me and Natalia, but my daughters, I can't see them growing up without a father. And then I started thinking about my wife, my parents, uh, the companies, and everybody that, that, that follows me and, and, and needs me. And I feel like a cat. Like, I feel like I have eight lives because I've been through so many situations <laughs> like that. Yeah. But I don't know, Italia came up. So your daughter, 18, I saw the same face you made of how excited you are to go see her. So how much has your 18-year-old uh, your or your other children uh, that are now adults, how have they impacted maybe your last 20 years of life? Well, I've learned more from being a father than anything else that I've ever experienced. And I have a 23-year-old daughter, a 21-year-old daughter, an 18-year-old daughter as of today, and a 12-year-old son. And the interesting lesson that I've learned about these kids is because I'm not afraid for myself. But as you mentioned, my only fear exists within the context of my children. And so what I've learned is my family has always been my number one non-negotiable. And I used to tell everyone and my actions would probably align with that the majority of the time. I always spend minutes and moments in fear and ego. I'm human, I get angry, I get guilty, resentful, all the things I listed off, minutes yeah. and moments, not days, weeks, months, and years. But my non-negotiable was always my family, then the activity I got paid for, which was directly related to why I wanted to get paid so I could support my family. But you, interestingly enough, when you talked about the experience with Italia, what did you say? If I'm not here, then I won't have of value to my family. I can't help them. Yeah. So later on in life, I decided because of what I feel about my children, I'm going to put me first. I'm going to put my health first. See, what I decided was if I was healthy, I not only got as many wishes in a day that I wanted, but I am capable of doing anything for the people that I love the most. All the people you listed out after your own children are the same people I list out after my own children. So health became my primary non-negotiable every day. So in those situations where my health, my livelihood, my own spirit is at question, I make the decision for my family because my health is most important, then my family, then the activity I got paid for. If you're not healthy, if you would have got shot, you would have only had one wish. When you're healthy, when you're sitting here today with me, yeah. after that horrific event of scarcity and fear that you survived, you get as many wishes today, your beautiful wife and family, they're all here today with you. But if you wouldn't have put your health first, if you wouldn't have put you first, imagine you may have only had one wish this morning when you woke up. Yeah. Right, that one more day with Italia, the one more day with your wife, one more day with Bertie. Uh, how do we pronounce Berlin, it? Berlin, Berlin. Berlin, yeah. right, right. So we have to remember non-negotiables in life, primarily taking care of ourselves so we could take care of others. Same thing with forgiveness. Forgive yourself so you can forgive others. Most people, it's amazing. 
they get so mad at other people for the same shit we do. I'll use yeah. one quick example for, I love when my wife cuts somebody off. I mean, or somebody cuts my wife off in the car. Yeah. Right? Flips them off. She has an AMG. She drives like a maniac. And she cuts off tons of people. But when she gets cut off in a car, she flips off the people. She's screaming, what did that? Right? Sure. And meanwhile, it could be like three minutes later, she cuts somebody else off. Yeah. See, I was like, what world do you live in? Just forgive them. They, they're doing it the same way you yeah, do. Yeah. They don't mean any harm. This is the same thing that we got to do in life. We only can give what we don't have. Make sure you have a non-negotiable of your health first so you can take care of those beautiful daughters and your beautiful family and your associates, companies, and community. Yeah, D David, one, one thing. What, what, do you, what did you learn from your mother and your father? Well, how was your upbringing? Yeah, so my, my dad left when I was five. But later on in life, when I was 30, a multimillionaire, married to my dream girl, living in my dream house, golf course, ski mountain, like you, anything I wanted to buy. Yeah. The greatest lesson I learned from my dad is I'm just like him. I told my dad I hated him because he was a liar, a cheater, manipulator, overseller, back end seller. He told me I was just like him and that I had to learn that money wasn't going to buy me happiness and love. And I did learn that. I was just like my father. I didn't hate my father. I didn't hate my best friend when he told me the same thing. And I didn't hate my wife when she told me she was going to leave me because I was living my life without values of who I was and what I want to become. So I learned from my father that I'm just like him and that I should take stock in who I want to be. What, you know, I was always worried about what's coming. My dad taught me to worry about what's becoming of me, not what's coming to me. And that changed my life and my mom my mom taught me the most valuable lesson. She taught me to be consistent. Yeah. My, my mom worked two jobs, packed my dinner in a paper bag, raised six kids, all who went to the Ivy Leagues, graduated summa cum laude. She's empowered her community as a second grade teacher, a Sunday school teacher, never asked for anything herself. But she taught me to enjoy the consistent every day, persistent without quit pursuit of my potential. Not to listen to what other people said about me, Right? Not to worry about what I didn't have or what had happened to me, but pursue my potential to do my best, learn lessons, and have fun doing it. And you know, as you may know, my mom is my hero. She's still alive today. And uh, you know, I'm just so grateful to have the mother that I've had. Yeah, that's awesome. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Obviously, you and I are at the same frequency, the same vibration. We think the same way. Um, what impact did your mom and dad have on you? Um, and were there, you know, differences in what they taught you or uh, were they both around or none of them around? I think the biggest thing was they challenged me because um, my dad, he was a painter in Beverly Hills. So he used to go paint houses in Beverly Hills in Bel Air. And when I was six, he started taking me with him to help him because I wanted to go help him. And when, and when, I, when he took me, he opened my... my um, my my beliefs like he expanded my 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 beliefs and and it all started when i asked him like hey dad i challenged him i said why why don't you drive this ferrari this red ferrari here in, in this mansion in beverly hills and why don't we live here because we lived in the ghetto we lived in echo park but in the, in yeah. the bad echo park area next to la where they shot, where there was shootings drug dealings <laughs> so my dad would get in fights in the in the alley when he was putting the car in uh, and and Gunshots every every two weeks. We 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 knew the drill. Duck, get get in back of the the sofa and hide because there's shootings. And so that's how we grew up. So he he opened um, 
he, he made me dream because he challenged me. He said, those things are not for us. And I said, why not? He said, if you work hard and you never quit, then maybe you can achieve this. And I promised him I'll do that. And then my mom, she was, she was really protective. So she protected me so much that um, she, her idea was to send me to, to the valley, to Granada Hills to go to school. So I took the yellow school bus because that was supposed to be a lot safer. But I was so protected that when she kind of sent me off, my first day in that yellow school bus, I was getting in headlocks from the bigger kids and getting bullied. And then when I got to the, to the school, elementary school, everybody was white. I was the only brown kid, like maybe one of the three brown kids. <laughs> everybody, it was just 99% white. I don't speak English. I only speak Spanish. So they started calling me wetback. I get put on special ed class. Then they realize, well, he's not special ed. He just doesn't know English. So, so then I go special, uh, special, uh, ESL. ESL, right, yeah. So I get into ESL class, and, and then I learned things the hard way. So then I had to fight to survive. And then I thought big because my dad took me to Beverly Hills. So then all of that kind of made me think big. And then all through uh, 12th grade, I sucked at school. I was a rebel. I hated school. I, would, I was always sick. I had so many tardies. And, and I was so, people just didn't like me because, uh, because I didn't fit in. So that made me a fighter. And when I graduated from uh, high school, they mailed my diploma because I had my grades were so bad, I didn't qualify to graduate on stage. So then I got into college because that was what I was supposed to do. I dropped out and then I started, I became a self-employed and I, I became mortgage guy, real estate. And then that's when everything started changing. And I want to ask you another question because I'm always curious. And it's a question I ask myself because you look back and you think, why was I so stupid? Um, you know, we both did drugs and drank and, you know, why do you think we needed to do that? Or at least why do you think you needed, you know, to drink so much and to do cocaine and to do those things? What do you think now that you're older, looking back, you know, what was the real core motivation behind destroying ourselves? I, I think two things, insecurity, number one, and number two, uh, being in the wrong circle. So my, all my insecurities that I built uh, through elementary school, through high school, I, I, I hated them because I, I was always the ugly kid. I was always the skinny kid. I was always the pale kid. I was always the kid with, uh, with a bunch of pimples, the kid with, uh, with a really bad accent. I couldn't get laid if I had a gun, I couldn't get laid. Um, the girl would say no. She would rather me shoot her. So, so, so I could, I, I, that happened to me. So when, when I got into college, I learned how to drink. I learned how to party in college. Those are the two things that I learned in college, how to drink and how to party. So you and, must and, have go to USC. Uh, okay. I went to, I, I went <laughs> I to Glendale community college, yeah, but right I used by, to, right I, by accidental, man. Yeah. Right by yeah, me. yeah. But, but I, I used to crash all the parties in, uh, in UCLA and all the, those <laughs> yeah, parties yeah. That, that they had, the sororities and all that. So, so when I, when I, Got into college, I started working out. I lifted weights, took weight gainers, took creatine. I started going to the beach and just frying in the sun, getting some color. And then I started drinking. So, because I was so shy that I would, I would start, I would practice by approaching girls with my friend uh, at the beach. And we were, we were shy, so we would have a drink, then go approach the girls, and then we would start going to like parties, uh, bars, same thing, get some drinks, get some practice. So then I became just that became a habit. So we were going out Monday through Sunday, and then um, we started making money in real estate. So I started partying a little heavier, and then it became, I became addicted to going out and being with girls all the time. 
And then a friend one, one time kept throwing cocaine at me. And I always said, no, no, I don't do that. I, I just drink. I don't do cocaine. And then one day I said yes, and I did it. And I lasted a year just doing cocaine, going out, girls, DUIs, and, and, and I became addicted to that. But I stayed, I was in that circle. So when, I, when, when that changed was when I started um, meeting better people and I started getting away from that circle. But my hard lesson was when I got into that accident, it could have been my fourth DUI and I, I would, it would have been a felony, I would have been done. It's amazing because, you know, all of my friends that you mentioned and one of the things that inspired me to do what I do, those friends of mine, uh, the one worry that I had when I started doing this, and I, I you know who Dean Graziosi is? Yeah. He's, so yeah, yeah. Dean, and I went with Ed and Dean to dinner, and I asked Dean a question. I said, man, I, I just can't stand on a stage and sell my stuff. Yeah. And he was shocked. He said, why not, Dave? I said... I don't know. I, I just feel bad, like charging people to, you know, to help them. And, and he said, Dave, have you ever bought anything off the stage? I said, oh, I bought Tony Robbins. I'm old. So it was cassette tapes. I had them in my trunk all yeah. the time. I listened to them all the time in my car, yeah. Tony Robbins. And then I listened to Wayne Dyer on CDs. Right. And I yeah. listened to Wayne Dyer. Power Tony changed my life. Yeah, right. And, and he said, so when they sold you those, did they rip you off? What, what results did you have? I said, Tony changed my life. Yeah. Wayne Dyer changed my life. Yeah. And it occurred to me, the only reason that I wasn't charging to help people was I wasn't confident that I could change their life. Because when I'm listening to your story about changing your neighborhood, changing your frequency, yeah. it started with people that gave you a higher frequency, better ideas, and you are now in my neighborhood, right? Yeah. You're in the neighborhood with Grant and Ed and Brad and all the guys, Dan Fleischman was grew up in my physical yeah. and my spiritual really in yeah. my neighborhood. Um, what would you tell people today as we finish up that are sitting there at home? And I'm thinking about Tay Sweat, a kid that he borrowed 5,000 on PayPal credit to get his first self-development. You know, now he's a multimillionaire uh, because he invested in himself. Yeah. What would you say to the kids out there that are like you and I, grow up with nothing, have very little right now, but we know we, ha we know we have it in us. I know you knew it when you were young and I knew it when I was young. What would you tell them when you went out and finally crossed that line and said, I'm not gonna stay in this neighborhood anymore. There's a better neighborhood for me. It starts with courage, but you gotta go for it. A lot of people don't go for it because they're scared. Uh, I'm going to get nervous. People are going to talk shit about me. Uh, I'm going to start sweating. I'm going to get red. They're going to bite me. N nothing's going to happen. In worst case, they say no. Uh, they, they don't invite you back. But it's not the end of the world. But you got to go for it because you don't want to get to a point where, where you, you become very, you, you, you're old, defeated, and then you, rem you, you'll, and then you die. And then you, you, you'll always have that, that feeling why didn't I go for it when I had that opportunity? Because opportunities happen when you never expect them. And when they, when they show up, you got to be ready no matter what. So like people don't go for it, but it's, it's a lot of courage. And, and I have this, um, I'll tell you a quick story. I'll go quick. When, uh, when I was with Grant, I really wanted to speak on Grant's stage, but I never got that opportunity. And I respect Grant. I love Grant. And I learned so much from Grant. And, and, um, but I never got that opportunity. So what I did is I said, well, if I can't speak on his stage, and there, there was another guy that I wanted to speak on his stage too, I said, I'll create my own stage. So that's when we created Driven, 
the driven events where, where we have 2,000 plus people. That, last year we had Andy Frisella and all the guys that, that we mentioned, but I, I created my own stage, but this was six years ago. We're, we're going driven six now. Yeah. But the first driven was 2017 and I hired Grant to speak because I needed him to bring his audience because nobody's gonna buy tickets to go see Albert. Like, who's Albert? Like, <laughs> this little Mexican kid. So, so um, I needed Grant so that he could bring his audience and I could take some of his audience. So back then, you know, it was 50K. So I didn't have 50K. And, and it was another 50, it was another, it was 25K to get the, the down payment for the Ritz Carlton, yeah. the deposit. And I had to pay Grant half. So I needed 50. I didn't have 50. So I asked the buddy, hey, you want to go 50-50? And I, I didn't have that much money. I, I was like paycheck to paycheck because I'm barely starting my business. And, I, and my buddy says, no, 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 no. He didn't want to do it. Why? Because I don't have experience. I, I'm not a speaker. Like, like, when have you done events? A lot of reasons, right? And, and I don't know what more reasons. So then I said, okay, cool. So then I said, okay, well, I'll put 25 grand that I have and I'll put the other 25K on the credit card. And I started it. And then I said, well, you need a lot more money because that's just a deposit and you still owe him the other 50%. And there's a lot more things you got to pay for AV and all that stuff right. that comes with events. So I said, I told my wife, oh, we'll just sell tickets. And then once we get the ticket sales, then we'll continue to fund the event. We have three months to, uh, to fund it and we'll pay it as, as we go on stages. So we did that. And then, and then I remember the first 48 hours, we don't have any ticket sales. And I'm like, shit. And I'm like, I, we don't have one ticket, no, no ticket sales. And we have Grant, like what's going on? And then me and her are at Barton G in, in Beverly Hills, we're eating. And I don't even know why we're there because we don't have money. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I get an email like ding. And then I get a ticket, super VIP ticket, $2,000. And I'm like, yes, we're $2,000 less of a deficit. So then from there on, we start selling tickets and I start going live, doing lives. I started copying Grant, everything he was doing, doing lives like crazy. But I have five viewers, not a thousand like him. Yeah. So I have five viewers and I'm like pitching them. Hey, you should buy this ticket. Come on. Like, what are you guys thinking? But I'm like, dude, who the hell is this Albert guy? <laughs> so long story short, we, we sell fund the event. And the day of the event, Elena Cardone speaking on stage. And they tell us, we need 36,000 more. If you don't pay it right now, we're going to cut the plug. And on Elena, before Grant went up. So we end up taking care of that and the history. And it's history. Last year, we had, uh, we had over 2,000 people uh, three years later at Long Beach. And then from there on, we just kept doing it bigger and bigger and bigger. And I created my, I finally got to speak on stage because I created my own. On stage. So, so that, so, but my point is, you got to go for it. You got to take some risk. But some people lack balls. They lack that courage. What's going to happen? You, I'd rather go out of business and know that I tried than die and remember that I never tried. Absolutely. And you're all in. And I love that about you. I can't wait to participate in your events as well because once again, I've heard so many amazing things. And now that I know the backstory, it's even more impressive. You got to give everything you can and uh, willing to give it all up in order to make it all. And you've done that. Uh, Albert, thank you so much for joining me. This has been incredible. I'm sure we'll do more content, have more fun, and hopefully share some stages together and help more people. For, for sure. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure meeting you. And, and, and uh, I want to have you on, on my uh, studios that I have over there in my office too. Done deal. Enjoy your girl. Uh, <laughs> you're, you. an, you're an amazing father and role model. So re yeah, really glad that we finally connected and and uh, you know, next time, hopefully, I don't have a gun pointed the yeah, night, right. night before. So I could Luckily, we live close. So yeah. thank you so much. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneurs, The Playbook.